Fresh, man. This song is fresh, Goldie. doing it is hit the lotto we're back for episode number 20 it's romo here live and uh, i think we made our connection and uh i will introduce my guest in one minute um and just the uh so she knows uh and can understand more about because she's probably never listened to the podcast because frankly who fucking cares about it you know what i mean but but uh we're here to have a good time and i am romo back again 20 weeks in thanks for uh listening in live and putting up with with it and uh there's a few people in the studio right now and then when you listen to it on on record just know that uh i i appreciate you man all you guys i appreciate you we're gonna go we're gonna do on a quick rant and then i'm gonna introduce you because kelly just so you know like i talk about some like sometimes it's serious shit and sometimes it's just funny shit or just numbers and just stuff about real life. And I just don't want to put you on the spot. That's why I bring you in after, because if you want to talk about it, you're welcome to join me and talk about it. But uh, uh, if, if it's, and, and I don't think it's bad, but I just give you the option. But to, so every week I start with, uh, with the rant and uh, 
uh, this week, my it's again, it's I, I don't hate to be a random moaner, but um, um, this week it's it's at some stage it's it's about anti-vaxxers, about people who are still completely against and their reasonings for it because uh, like I had uh, I had one of the you know one of the leading cancer researchers in America on the show for fuck's sake and you know explaining these things and learning about them and and appreciating uh, uh, all sides and understanding all sides and and uh of the, the understanding, but like when you can look me in the eye and tell me that you go to a GP or you go to a, you got your doctor, right. And you got, you got your surgeon, right. And you got your, your medical professionals, right. And you go to your GP because, because the, the, the number of GPs in the world in in America, mostly I'm talking in here in Ireland too, that would not recommend uh, getting vaccinated with what's going on with COVID. Um, there's it's roughly three percent or something is the number when you when you melt all these numbers together. Roughly three percent. It's not like ten percent. It's not like fifteen percent. Yet the amount of people that I see that refuse for reasons that make any sense. Because that same doctor who recommends them to get, you know, scopes down their throats, or that same doctor who gives them uh, yet another medication, you don't know anything about any. All of a sudden, people are worried about medications. These are, most of us are the same people. If a doctor prescribed a medication, we would not think twice about that medication because we trust our doctor. And it's not because we wouldn't we trust our doctor. And the fact is, look, pharmaceutical companies have doctors in their pockets. You know what I mean? We know that, but but. It still doesn't mean that you wouldn't trust your doctor. So if your doctor, if if you're fine with your doctor giving you pills for all of the things that you're unhealthy about, but your your doc, that same doctor who says to you, you know, get the fucking vaccine, you're all of a sudden you're not you're you're an anti-vaxxer because because the science isn't there. You're full of shit and it's political. Like I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and, and 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 you know, and I I respect that. I wish you would be honest about that. And, and if you were honest about that, then at least people would know. But but I just have an issue. Like if you if your doctor, if the science people you talked to told you not to do it, even if it was a twenty percent of the science people and doctors that said don't don't do this, then okay, I can understand if twenty percent of the people don't want to get it done. And maybe it's just media. Maybe it's just that's what you hear. But we still got a problem and there's still people like I'm just shocked that there's still people that are not getting vaccinated for stuff other than reasons that are legitimate medical reasons. And that's the rant. My, what's Goldie say? My mother gets a scope up and down regularly. Obviously nothing wrong with her, but she loves the attention. There you go. There you go, Goldie. But uh, so that's it. That's the rant, man. And and uh, I'm going to introduce my next guest. And then if you want to get into it, Kelly, you can get into it with me. If you don't, I don't. I respect that and respect you. And uh, my guest is, again, I, it's funny because on my show, I tend to have either my best friends or people that I just respect and and I don't barely know. And, and Kelly's definitely one of them. I um. 
you know, as you guys know, I've been coaching American football here in Ireland. I've had on coach Karen is actually in the studio with us right now. Um, uh, I, I've coached in, in Ireland. I've coached in America, all, all that. And there's very, and I, I, I always end up blowing smoke, but there's very few times, not true. There's a lot of really good and really fun and it's a brotherhood and well, it's a fraternity. It's not a brotherhood right there. Uh, it's a, you know, where, where, you know, it's a, it's such a family thing where you have a lot of crazies, but there's very few people that I think I met, especially, you know, when you're a middle age like me and, you know, you're kind of the old, old guard and you're a coach and you're cranky to begin with maybe a little bit. And, and that's kind of who I was with a chip on my shoulder, whatever. But, uh, you may, very few people that you, when you look back on it, um, uh, for me personally, anyway, where I look back on, it, I'm like, you know what? I, I really, uh, well, that, that, what I respect this aspect of this person that I know in this aspect. And Kelly Dwyer is with us uh, tonight, and she is an official in the uh, uh, the American Football Ireland. What what what's it called? That's not IAFA. She's you, you can you can correct me on it, but uh, uh, she. I think she might even be on the board. I think she's probably the head of officiating probably somewhere, or she's on some officiating because she probably helps make the rules now. And she's has her own podcast out now. Uh, and she probably has a real job. I would imagine she would probably need a real job because I know none of those things are paying her a penny. My guest tonight is Kelly Dwyer. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kelly. Uh, Romo, thanks so much for having me. I'm cracking up here at your description of me and what I do. <laughs> I was like, I think you've done me a, uh, done me a huge favor there, describing me in such a way. So thanks so much. Great way to start. Awesome. Well, we totally, I, I, I like I said, I totally. Uh, it's excellent that you you came on the show tonight. It's really. Um, uh, I'm I'm really happy. Like you couldn't. I, I took three weeks off for a, a bit of a, a summer summer break to enjoy myself, and I actually got a little bit behind on it. And and when I thought about it, I was like, man, I got I got to try and come up with a come up with a good one. And uh, and when you popped into my head, actually, you know how it, what happens? And it's it's marketing. It's pure marketing. Obviously, I listen to your podcast or something, or but your name popped up on my Facebook thing, and I never, I don't, I don't care about Facebook friends. I have don't have very many. But your name popped up. I'm like, man, she's doing a good job. I'm going to tell her she's doing a good job, and I want to be her friend on Facebook, on social media. And then I was like, you should come on the show. And I so thank you for 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 doing this. I I try. I will will promise that I'm I'm anything you don't want to answer, you don't have to answer anything that you want to get into. I know that you because of what you know your role even though this is a private i mean we'll get we'll get some people to listen and most of them won't give a shite about what we talk about but um you know i don't want to put you in any position so please but i don't think i will I, i'm here to have a good time and uh and i think that we can probably probably put on a really good show so that's why i appreciate you coming on yeah, perfect. Cool. There's no panic there. Like I'm here for a good time as well. So, so what happened? Where, where did that? Where did it hit you that uh, I want? I want to do this. I want to. I, I want to be. I want to. I want to give give my shot at, at officiating. Was it a love of the sport first? Was it sort of you saw you came into the sport and said, 
man, that looks like a good idea. Did you come from another sport? How, how did you, uh, how did you get into it? Yeah, well, I mean, I was always quite sporty from being a teenager. When I was younger, I would have I played rugby. That was my first sport. And so obviously that's a high contact sport as well. And would have done very well at it, reaching kind of provincial level by the time I was like in my early 20s and stuff like that. But for women in sport, it it's difficult in that it's not a viable career option. So if you want to go to those higher levels, you are compromising somewhere. And usually that means like your career or your studies or, or whatever, you can't focus on sport the way how let's say a male could, where they could say, okay, this is going to be my first option in life. Like, so had to kind of take a step back from it. And because I was in college in, in Limerick, um, that then of course I was introduced to the, to the UL Vikings. So, uh, first off, just as a spectator and would have just watched a few games for, I think, two years. I was literally just watching it. But it's one of those sports, especially if you are predisposed to enjoy like high contact sports. It's so alluring, like there's no sport like it. And um, then as well, the guys on that team and the coaching staff on that team are very welcoming. And, you know, um, we would have had a lot of the players from that team over on football Sundays to our house to watch Red Zone and a few beers and like food, all the rest. And like to this day, the guys off that team would be some of my closest friends. So I remember just asking one day, like, how how do I get better involved? Like, how how can I actually not just be a spectator, but maybe have some type of like a positive impact on this sport? And so step one, I think, was was the officiating and that was it. I started team officiating for the Vikings um, after that. Um, I would have only done two or three, two or three games in a year, but was very well received and received a lot of encouragement um, for doing those games. And a few years later, then um, I would have moved away from Limerick and that's where I was approached about becoming a full-time league official. So I said, like, great, I will do that. About a year after that, I was asked to step up as kind of the officiating appeals manager. So that was the same year that we saw some significant changes across American Football Ireland. The officiating department moved away from being just one director that did everything into kind of a department with three or four people. And one of the the biggest things that needed to change in American Football Ireland was that there, there needed to be a clear, um, transparent, fair an unbiased process for how we deal with officiating appeals such as targeting calls and so I was asked would I step up into that role so I did that developed that process and then into the 2020 season I became a flag player because there was no games and into the 2021 season I was approached about joining the American Football Ireland board and so I jumped at that opportunity as well and that's what has brought us to where we are today? All right, all right, all right. We're going to get to that that the the second part of of your answer. I want to keep going. I'm going to keep going back. I want to build to where we are today because I I, I, I I'm excited to get your uh, to a little bit deeper into into where we're at today. But but I want to do that later. But uh, so so how many years total does that mean you've put into this? Like, is it? It's been a decade almost, huh? Or over? No, not a decade. I think um, it was maybe two thousand and fourteen. 
So yeah. almost a decade. Oh, that's good. That's fantastic. That's <laughs> that's a long time to be putting in. You know what I mean? Don't don't don't. Uh, that's that's a long time. So what in all of that time? Um, your what's the biggest thing that you've learned personally about the profession? Um, that you that now you know that's that that if you were to look back at that that you from eight years ago, you would have said, you know what, go do this. If you do this, it's going to, it's the, the, this is where, this is what you need to look at because you're, you're too dumb or you're too, you're not, you're just not getting it right now. The wise you is telling you, this is the thing. What would be that? Is there one thing is there, or are there more than one things, but, but is there one like main thing that, that the, you now, the official now would tell the official first year official? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think like, the biggest thing that I, I tell myself is like not to stretch myself too far, like just do what I'm good at and be comfortable being good at that. And don't try to do everything. You know what I mean? Just do your job, yeah. do it well, and then say no to the other things that are going to get in the way of you doing your job well, you know? So that's, that's kind of the biggest advice that I could give myself, my younger self. And it's a lesson that I'm glad to learn. And, you know, it's kind of uh, all about like where you let go of things like you're going to have a call, let's say, and, you know, a player might disagree with your call and you can explain it nine times out of 10 when you take that time to explain that call to that player and you just treat them like a human, you know, um, they are going to accept that. They're going to say, oh, that's, you know, thank you, ref, for explaining that. They might agree to disagree with your call. Um, but generally speaking, we can leave it there. The odd time that, it, you know, they might continue to disagree. I don't have to push that point. You know what I mean? I've made my point. That's it. You know, I've done I've done my job and, and that's kind of the outcome of it. And not to let that upset me. Similarly, like with the other officials, like I, I can't make any other official officiate better. I can only do the best that I can do and kind of encourage them to do better. Um, and just not try to be, not try to be the hero of the day. Do you know that kind of way? Not try to win every battle, nothing like that. Just do what I can do and let the rest go. Well, yeah, especially when you consider that uh, um, when you, <laughs> when you took the, the course, the first basic officiating course to, to, learn to at least be able to get you on the field um when you look back at that when you took it then when you look at back at that i mean i i've I, i've taken it so i know it's um uh it's really it's really uh i'm not sure what the word is that i want they want to use for it but basically you know it's it's bullshit you know what i mean it's it's I, you know, and I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but but I understand why. Like, I get why because you, you know, you, you're you guys that are big league officials. I mean, how many of you are, are there roughly throughout the league? Oh, I think there's maybe 15, 16 of us throughout the league. But I mean, that's both sides of the border as well. Like, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So there's that's that's not many. And would you have? Uh, a lot of games going on you require in in this country we require teams to submit their own officials so they have to go through the basic course to learn how to be an official and then then you have to then half of the team half of the the officiating crew that's on the field during any given sunday is of another team's 
guys. Now, some yeah. of them are some of them take it very seriously and are quite good, but for the most part, like you get a lot of slackers. You get a lot of slackers that that you have, and you have to admit. And now it's your job. And now basically. The way you know the, the the bad thing about it, and maybe that's changed now. You can allude to it, but because I'm talking about again, you know, years years ago when I got into it, is that uh, you know basically there was no hope with, with those guys. There was no hope. So if there's two, if you're lucky enough to get two league officials on the game, they have to do the job of five. Like frankly, yeah. at this stage, so, you it know, you, has it got has it gotten better since then? I think it. I think overall the officiating has slowly, slowly gotten better. It it breaks my heart when we have like a poor game uh, that where it's just a flag fest and the officials have lost kind of the game. And even when our league officials sometimes act out of character or, you know, or something like that, like there have been times where I've looked at a game and I have disagreed with how it has been officiated. And I, I felt like the game wasn't conducted in a manner that was fair. Um, and that is disappointing to me because those seem to be the scenarios that players remember, coaches remember and teams remember, do you know? But I yeah. think that slowly over time, the standard of officiating has certainly gotten better. And if we look at where we were five years ago versus where we are today, it it has improved. There has been there has been overall improvements and these things, they're slow because, like you said, we are reliant um, on our team, on our team officials, and we can't move away from that structure at the moment because if we move away from that structure, then we will have no development of any full-time officials either. That's that's what brings full-time officials on um, into the sport is is that team-based approach. We would not have enough um, full-time officials anyway to do it, um, but we certainly wouldn't have enough full-time officials in the next five years um, either. Um, so we have to remain within that. Um, a problem with that means you don't get to build any type of rapport with your officials. So if you look at the way they officiate in the States or even across Europe, you will have one crew and that's your crew for the season and you officiate every single game with them so that you don't have to worry about where the other official is looking or what they're doing. It's the same way as when you're training with your teammates and by the end of the season, you have just this natural kind of instinctive understanding of how they play and who they are and what they're good at, what they're bad at and, and stuff like that. Um, and that does happen when you're officiating with the same people week on week on week as well. But we can't do that every single week. So those are some current weaknesses that we cannot move away from as an association at the moment. But some of the things that we have been able to improve on is, funnily enough that you mentioned it, the teaching material like that is something that was considered to be quite a big weakness within the department when we moved away from that when we moved away from just having one person do that job to having actually a team do that job we recently had um you know a developing uh and someone who's over the development of officials to come in um steve sagar for that purpose to actually develop the course material and to um, teach it maybe in a way that's a, a bit more effective. We're looking at getting a few officials down to like the Team Ireland trainings to actually get them on field uh, practice before they go out to Whitecap. You know, stuff like this where it's going to be a more impactful course of study to actually bring our officials to a better standard. Then, of course, I'm biased, but... 
we've never had such a clear or transparent um, way of doing the appeals processes before. So that has been a huge improvement as well. Um, we have like Steve, and this is all under Steve Moles, who is our uh, director of officiating for this year and last year. And these kind of the vision that he has for the department and the team that he has, it's just, it's just very positive. It's, it's going to take, you know, five to 10 years to try and get this to where it wants where we want it to be and it's slow and it can at times feel like we're not making the progress that we would like to make when there is a bad game that has admittedly poor officiating impacting on it but over time it is getting better and we just kind of need all hands on deck and all of that to just get it over that line to get to that higher standard so First of all, I don't know if you know this, but I think you do, that Steve Steve Moles played for me, and it was the first time in my entire history of coaching um, because I, it wasn't like this for me in America where I coached you know, high school and then on down that I coached someone who was older than me. And, and there was actually two of them on that team, and Steve, Steve played till he was 50. Man. Like, I have nothing but mad love and respect for that guy. He's a lunatic, and I love him to death. But my question for you is, all of that is 100% fantastic. And I think it's, I mean, what more could you, from, from a competency level in the game, you're 100% right. And it's just like what the coaching went through, because coaching took a, a very similar path a very similar path. Maybe it got off the ground a year earlier, maybe, or, you know, because of, for whatever reasons, it doesn't matter what the reasons are. Um, but I think that coaching in Ireland has, has gone to the same path. Like the, 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 what's being developed now for first level, second level, third level for coaches. And obviously COVID put a hurting on this development, but what's being, you know, bantered around and actually whiteboarded and brainstormed and talked about and done has been really amazing stuff for, for someone who wants to be a coach. And it sounds like you're going through the same process. The one difference that I see between the two is like, I, as a coach for years, I knew the guys that were going to be coaches. You know, I knew, I knew the foot, the players, or even the uh, hang arounds, hung around the team. I knew the the young ones that could be coaches, and I think that a bit of that comes with just as you get older, you learn to listen more and talk less, and and so that's where I kind of was, and I talked a lot when I coached, but I was I, I always felt that it was for a purpose, like I didn't want to talk without a, a purpose kind of thing, and I so there are guys that you could get into the coaching aspect of the game, and you have ex players that want to coach and want to help out. How do you get someone who says, yes, I want to learn 250 fucking rules to a, to a playbook, to a rule book and stand on a sideline and throw a yellow flag. And I've never like, how do you get, where do they come from? Because your pool can only, I'm sure that your pool, that's got to be frustrating that your pool can only be so big. Yeah, are you reaching true. out for more? Are there more? How can you get? Can how can we? How, I don't know. I'm just. It's just a a throw out question, but that is looking for your opinion. But you know, it's hard when you're developing this great curriculum, but you still have the same 15 guys, and you know that some of them are ready to do other things. Not everybody wants to do it all the time. Some of them want to. They're, they're only doing it because they see there's only 15 people. And how, do you have, or maybe you do, and I don't know. Do you have like a 
you know, kind of dearth or, or a crew of young officials, maybe college age or so that are ready to bring themselves through or, or are you still looking for that? No, I mean, I wish we did because <laughs> that would be great. But it's like when you're talking about the coaching, I feel like a, a player who loves the sport that they play, the coaching is the obvious channel that they go up, you know, and especially yep. Because yep. coaches are always looking out for more coaches. So it's almost like these players are kind of invited to take this step, whereas with the officiating, we don't have that type of impact, you know, on the players that are playing. We would, of course, see there, that there are some uh, players that are fantastic officials. You know, there'd be um, the likes of the Minotaurs and the Rebels are uh, brilliant officials, fantastic player officials. You would get a few like that. The Mavericks as well would be quite good. And where you might just try to to suggest to them, you know, after the game, look, would you take this on? Would you whatever? But the first the first thing you have to do is to get your culture within your department correct. Because if it's not fun to be part to be an official and to be part of that culture, then people are gonna come in and they're gonna go. Do you know? So people don't believe this when we say, but we actually have great fun in the department itself. I mean, Steve Mole, it's it's great that you you know him so well because you know, he has a lot of credibility as being someone that other people like and people want to be friends with and that, uh, you know, he's a lunatic, you know what I mean? That he's an enjoyable guy to work with. And um, same with his son, Jamie, who's also the scheduling manor, uh, manager and um, having a good rapport with our department having a good rapport with the players on game day and the coaches on game day is kind of like our step one into trying to get um, people interested in the officiating because it really is down to individual interest. There are some players who are going to be naturally interested in it and it's about making sure that those players are not scared off by the culture of the officiating um, in American Football Ireland, if that makes sense. And then um, outside of, of, because I mean, like, I think it's one of those things, I don't think it's bad to say that, you know, four or five years ago, I don't, I don't know that anyone would have been attracted to being an official because it just didn't seem like a fun thing to do at that time. Um, whereas like, we like to think now that um, we're getting our culture right. We are having fun when we officiate. And if people see us enjoying like being part of like our own little team and enjoying being out there on game day that um, is likely to invite people to be a part of it. And then we are just reliant first off on those that naturally um, want to officiate. Um, secondly, those that might be want to instigate change in the officiating because it's kind of a common thing that people would give out about. So um, you know, if you want to see change happen, you have to make change happen. Like, that's why I got involved. So, um, like, do that. That's what we want. And generally, most of our officials will, will reach out to us. They'll either contact America Football Ireland or they'll contact the officiating department. Um, we would get a few people who might have been high level referees in other sports like rugby and would have traveled around and they're looking to still officiate, but maybe not um, with so many international fixtures. And that's where we might get some of them contacting us and saying, you know, um, I'm available to officiate and stuff like that. So, but we are very much reliant on people contacting us rather than us contacting them, aside from those 
few players that we might see and be like, look, what do you think about doing this full time? Totally understand that too. Just to even uh, two things from from me and my standpoint on that as well is that a number one, you're one hundred percent right. So so what I've learned at least coming from the American sporting culture to here is that um, rules people are rules people. So what I mean by that is my at the high school level uh, or lower, you're the 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 football official was also either the wrestling official or the basketball ref. Um, he was also uh, an umpire at baseball or uh, softball, or he did some kind of officiating for a track and field, whatever the sports were. So the, the, the rules guys, the guys who liked that, that part of, of sport and athletics, they didn't matter the sport. They wanted to learn the rules and they wanted to, to, to adapt those rules and to, to make it the best, cleanest game possible on the field. That's what I found. So you're dead on about talking about rugby coaches, any other officials for any other sport, doesn't really matter if they could swing something and they knew about it, they probably be like, you'd probably get a few others if you reached out to other sports. And the other thing I have for that is, uh, personally is, and this is from a coaching standpoint, a, a league standpoint is you got to go after the kids. The, the, the youth league is great. It, it was a huge addition to, to the, to the league. Um, but you got to go even younger and I know it's hard. I know all the barriers, whatever, but the younger you go, the, the, uh, the easier it is to recruit the number one people that you need to recruit for any sport ever. And that's the moms and dads. Yeah. The, the, the game, if you can go after eight, seven, eight, nine year old kids and put them in a uniform and have them run around a field, maybe do a blitz every once, every quarter, every kid learns the same exact, not like America where you have leagues all over, but every kid has the same playbook. They get to put on a uniform, they get to go out and explain the diversity of the game of football, explain the, the, you know, how you don't have to be the best athlete in the world to excel at the game of football, explain how much fun it is to put on a uniform and go out and make contact. And if you can get those, then their parents are going to naturally want to be with them. And you're going to find a few fathers that are A, going to want to coach and B, going to get into officiating. As it gets, as they get older, they're going to want to learn more. So if you could, if we can capture those, we might have a leg up on, on trying to get some more officials. But I, 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 like I said, it has to be a bit frustrating to be going so far yet to know kind of like, you know, there's no, there's no, none of these, you know, you've been, you've been doing this for eight years now. And it's not that, that you're a veteran, I'm not calling you old in any way, Kelly, please don't, don't, I'm not trying to offend you in any way, but you're a vet, you know what I mean? And you need to have those, those, young ones or new ones coming in the rookies that, that want to learn, that want to be melded. If you could get a few more of them, I think that, that your crew would be in amazingly good shape. I really think they'd be in great shape. Yeah. I think that's where the flag football is so important because that's hopefully the sport that we're, you know, going to aim to get into schools. And um, so with that, I, I think that you're a hundred percent correct. And that like going for young kids is the, biggest way to develop not just like the officiating but the wider American football um, community and even the awareness of American football in Ireland that's the the biggest barrier that any team that's looking to recruit any coaches that are looking to expand like officials looking to gain new officials 
the awareness of American football in Ireland is the biggest barrier to that because most people outside of the community do not know it's here. I I totally totally agree with you. I uh, I, I would disagree vehemently as a uh, as a red blooded American uh, football coach to say that the flag football is the way to do it. But I understand <laughs> why. I do understand why. But but. Uh, uh, you're not, you know, for me, you're, you're not giving those, those kids have aggression and man, I can't wait to put, I, I, I always, I, I had a conversation with a, a coach that's on the currently part of the national program and he, him and I were talking about our, our young children. I have a son who's two and a half and my kid's a maniac and, and, and we were talking about, you know, he actually said, I'm not sure if I would get my son into American football because of the you know, all the CT, the concussions and, and the things that happen, which is perfectly, you know, understandable. And I was kind of like, ah, you know, yeah, he doesn't have to play if he doesn't want to play. But now I'm like, I need to put a helmet on this kid and just have him run into the fucking wall. Like he's a maniac. And if he could find a tackle football, then I might actually have something to calm him down with. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I think it's like there's two types of parents, isn't there? There's those parents that are like, oh, let them into the wall. That'll be great. You know what I mean? He'll calm down. Or there's the parents that are like that bit more concerned about what the kids are, are at. I, I think that the flag is, I do think it's a it's a bit more accessible because you're going to get. You're right. It's the, cheap. Yeah. And it's cheap. even someone who who wants their kid to play full contact American football that's still a reason to get them to play flag from a young age, you know, so it does yeah. hit both demographics. You're, you're right. The, the one, the one that you're not, you're, you still need to be able to pull out because, because you're not getting those big hogs playing flag football. You know what I mean? You're not getting those, you're not getting those, those offensive guards playing American, playing flag football. You know what I mean? It's, it takes a special, takes a special someone to be a, an offensive guard or a left tackle uh, that, that's not necessarily the, the one who's going to be running around a pitch trying to catch a ball, you know? So, so that's where I, I'm saying, but no, you're right. You're hundred percent right. I, I totally, I, I agree that anything is better than nothing. But it's probably, I mean, it's a good, it's a good point as well. I mean, obviously we're talking ideal world, but if you're getting young kids playing full contact American football and those bigger kids are, are playing on the lines or whatever, those are the kids that are currently probably feeling like sport isn't for them. 100% correct. You're right. So it's like that right. American football is so special in that there is a position for everybody, you know, on the, on the team. And this is awesome. Now that we solved that problem at a league level, look at, we're just solving, me and you were just solving problems at league <laughs> levels right now. We're, we're, you know what I mean? We're just going to take, take, take over the show. No, this is fantastic. But um, so again, just to get back to, to you though, um, what has been, what do you find that your kind of greatest accomplishment is in the eight years that you've been there personally as your, for your personal growth, whether it, it, it something obviously connected to, to, to football, but it doesn't have to be officiating if it's not officiating, if it's something that's just connected to football, but, you know, but specifically though, I would like to know as an official sort of, you know, what, what, what makes you the most proud and most, you know, that keeps you with that confidence going today? What, what, what's, what's done that for you? Hmm. I, um, I'm very proud of the appeals process that I developed. If we're talking purely officiating, like 
that was a, a fine piece of work, if I do say so myself. The officiating appeals before that, I am just not sure what the process was, how they were carried out. I do know that I was occasionally, as an official, sent um, plays to review where all of my peers could see what my responses were, including the official who would have thrown the targeting flag. So obviously it is very difficult to go against what your peer has said um, when they can hear or see what, what you what you're saying. That never stopped me from doing it. I would always find a very polite way to kind of say, you know, with the greatest respect, I disagree with this call. I don't feel that it should have been targeting on this occasion. However, I accept the outcome of the of the appeal, you know, and that is actually ultimately how I ended up in the role of officiating appeals manager because um that would have gone against me back then, but it was something that Steve Moles had noticed in me was that I would say how I felt regardless of how I felt anybody else felt about it. Um, so then when I came into the department, it was very important for me to develop a process that could be standalone, that it wouldn't matter who was there as the officiating appeals manager, the process would be the same and the outcome would be the same. And I called it diluting power with process because if you put me into that role and I make the call on whether that should be targeting or not as the appeals manager you could get the wrong person into that role someday and it's going to be a disaster do you know so what I did the uh, process that I developed then it had to be based on being fair being unbiased and making sure that nobody knew anybody else um, involved in the process so um, I would have some contacts with international officials, you know, across Europe and even in, in BAFTA, um, which is the British American Football Association, and asked them if they would be reviewers for me for any targeting plays that came in. So they agreed so that when then I received the targeting footage, I would send it to them and let them know how they are to conduct their review. They did not know the teams involved, the players involved or the officials involved. And their um, assessment of the of the call, whether it was targeting or not targeting, would then be final and completely anonymous. So that when I sent that information back, I would send it with the comments that the reviewer gave. But nobody but myself and Steve Moles would know who had done that review either. So nobody had anything to win or to gain from the process. And then I also documented the full um, scheme that should be followed each and every time a targeting call comes into the officiating department. Awesome. Uh, so, so that's so, if you think about how, like you said, and, and at the end of the day, uh, what it needed was someone to actually do that, to be able to sort of say process needs to be involved here, you know, yeah, and, and to put the process above the people, because when the people are, sh are known to show, because we all are known to show a bias in, in our lives about things and some more than others. And when that sort of tends to happen or what happens there is that from what I saw anyway, is that it wasn't that that happened. I don't know if that happened. What I know is that the perception of that happening was rampant in the league, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. The, yeah. the perception of, of bias was, became heavier and more important 
within the league, within the teams at least, than the actual biases. Or maybe there was. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm not even accusing. There's no accusations here from a, a coach level, you know. But I can definitely tell you that, you know, from that coach level, I treated every official with the utmost of respect. And there were frustration points, perhaps, from my situation, not necessarily with the official, but with the officiating. There may have been a frustration here and there, but I personally, as a head coach, would always conduct, unless I felt like there was one or two times, there was one time when I had a massive issue and uh, and I felt that I was rightfully so to the point where I told them, if you think I'm wrong, then please, by all means, throw me off right now. But I'm going to give you the list of things that I feel are right. And nobody threw me off the field. And then once I was threatened by an official, when I was literally just picking up a tee off the field and the official looked at me, threw the tee at me, and then basically threatened to throw a flag on me because the tee wasn't off the field quick enough. I was like, this, there were two times. That's it for me. That's it. I, so I have nothing, you know, but I could definitely see that there was a perception out there that um, there was perhaps like there was some hatred going on between officials, in between officials, between officials and teams. And there seemed like there was a huge sort of disjoint and i think teams had this perception that you know they were being targeted if you will by this targeting penalty for for things that went a step too far politically perhaps yeah well, if that makes sense it it does and um in terms of even just the appeals process and um to focus on the word like bias um, the thing is, is that we're human and bias is ultimately an unconscious thing. So yep. you may think that you're unbiased, but I can I can promise you, you are because un- unconscious bias is a thing like my day job. I'm a research scientist. So that is something that you have to account for in your experimental um, procedures and your experimental design. So that to me was at the forefront of my mind when I was developing this process that no matter how unbiased I may feel that I am, I am not. (laughs) And so how this needs to be designed is in such so that bias can't touch it because that's with appeals it has to be fair that is so important it has to be transparent and it has to be clear so that uh, when I give the feedback to the teams which may not be the feedback that they were looking for they can see from the process that I've given them which track this appeal followed do you know because there's a few there's a few tracks that it it will go through Mm. Uh, the outcome that their appeal has received and then the reasons why it received that outcome based on the reviewers comments so that even if they don't receive the message that they were hoping for they can accept the message that they received and that's what's so important is that they can actually accept the outcome whereas when they feel when there is no trust in the process when there's no trust in you know how in the people behind the process, it's very difficult for a team or for a coach or for a player to accept the outcome and to just let it rest. Do you know, it's very, very difficult for them to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right. And I think that what you're doing is, is definitely a huge step towards changing that. So just a couple more uh, questions for you before uh, 
I move on to the second part that you're welcome to stick around for, but I don't, I, I know that you, you, I, I know you're isolated. So maybe you want to chat all night. That's great. I don't, I, that'd be awesome. But, uh, one, one of them is that obviously there's an, not, not the elephant in the room, but the, the obvious, uh, thing here that you are a female in a male dominated sport. And there are actually many of you. It's, it's still not enough or not a huge percentage or whatever, but the reality is, um, of all sports, this is a hugely male dominated sort of sport and, uh, um, violence is the key and all of those things that traditionally you wouldn't see for you. Um, maybe, maybe you had none at the beginning because they are so desperate for officiating. So it didn't matter what you were or what gender you were at the beginning, but were there any barriers then now on the field, off the field, were there any barriers that you as a woman, and maybe I'm not the one to be asking this because I'm a man, but, but, you know, were there any barriers that you felt that, that were there and were obvious when you started or as you moved through? I mean, obviously now, and uh, everybody I talk to about you has nothing but the utmost of respect for you on and off the field. So, so I have never heard, literally never heard a bad word about your officiating at all. And as a coach in this league, you hear about everybody's bad officiating. <laughs> But but were there any barriers for you as a woman, you know, kind of coming through and and officiating these games on and off the pitch? Uh, yeah, there there is and occasionally continues to be because not so much that there are barriers specific to American Football Ireland, but just there are barriers to women in sport. And that um, is an issue that sport as a general in general has to has to overcome. So um, for women, um, there are three main barriers when it comes to even just playing sport. This is before we even get like specific into officiating where the three main barriers are um, lack of support, lack of seriousness, and then the knock on effect of your friends dropping out from sport. So lack of support then is where we would see like girls, um, girls and women are not supported in the same way that boys or men are support are supported when it comes to playing sport. You see that across every sport and at every single level of the sport, you know, um, right up to the elite athlete status, you know, um, then there's the lack of seriousness where, if a woman or a girl is is playing a sport, particularly I think like a non-contact sport, but any sport, she is taking it seriously. She wants to be the best that she can be. The, she is there to be competitive and to win and to develop. Um, whereas a lot of the commentary around that and a lot of the um, kind of how she would be treated will be like, she is great for trying. Do you know, oh, that's great. Look at her there trying it. Isn't she great for trying? It's like, she's not just trying. She's trying to make her way in this. And she's trying to be, she's taking this seriously. You should too, do you know? So that is a barrier to sport. And then the knock-on effect of women um, and and girls dropping out of sport for those reasons. And then if um, a woman or a girl suddenly finds herself in a position where she's the only female on a team, that's not going to be necessarily as enjoyable for her as what it would be if there was three, four, five females on that team. And, you know, a good support network is very important for any woman or any girl when it comes to sport or kind of any part in life. And if other women and girls aren't playing sports, then 
it's just going to be more challenging for the sole woman or girl that that does. So those are the three are three barriers that are present in every sport in Ireland. Uh, then in terms of the officiating, some very kind of simple um, things that are barriers. So for one, um, you know, changing rooms on game day, it's difficult when there isn't two changing rooms, you know, because that means that you at some point you have to stand outside the changing room and stand there for, you know, the men to get changed. And meanwhile, you could have like players coming in and out and you don't know what manner of dress they're going to be in, you know, and um, it's just awkward. It's difficult. And uh, it's not really something that you should have to put up with. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and um, then, and some teams, by the way, are fantastic at this. Um, some teams are very aware and uh, have, will have dressing rooms kind of ready to go for if I just happen to turn up on the day with no um, with no kind of prior warning. We have other kind of silly enough little things like where there is really no place that a woman can get uh, female cut uh, uniforms. I mean, it's all a size small man, which isn't the same. It's fine, but it's, you know, it's not the same. Um, then th- those are kind of some of the barriers little things like you know bathrooms there's an awful lot of uh games that um the pitch might be a good 10 minute walk from the changing room and men may be able to you know for for men a bathroom isn't a necessity they shouldn't have to do without but they can do without if they need to a woman cannot do without a bathroom and it doesn't happen so much today thankfully but there has been times where I have you know left the game at halftime to go to the bathroom and I come back and the game has started without me because I wasn't back within the 15 minutes and that you know shouldn't really happen it can be easily overcome I understand that our teams let's say are kind of at the the discretion of their venues and um there's no American football team in Ireland that actually owns their pitches so it's really what they can get is what they have to work with but you know a five minute five minutes extra at half time which is on our policies in AFI you know that's not on the teams that's for AFI to kind of overcome this five minutes more at half time you know should be there as an option for if the pitch is you know 10 minutes away from the changing rooms where someone can go and actually go to the bathroom and get back to the pitch on time. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Listen, let me tell you something, Kelly, you, I'm going to use a baseball terminology, but I I am pitching you. I am throwing you curveballs and fastballs and knuckleballs and you're knocking every fucking one of them out of the park, dude. So like, you you know, you're 100% like people need to listen to what you, what you're saying and it needs to be sort of, uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're talking about. It. Thank. This is this is a lot of fun. Um. So, uh, what? But this. Uh, now the next one's not even. It's just a sports specific topic. And obviously, I'm sure I, I wouldn't expect you to have listened to any of my shows or or any the, historically what we talked about. But one of the things that we've discussed on the show um, has been that. The world has become, um, at least media-wise or politically, it's becoming more uh, 
progressive kind of place when it comes to sport. So for instance, uh, um, you know, there was a weightlifter from New Zealand who got, uh, was, uh, born a man, um, got, had, had all the proper change to be considered legally a, a woman as far as the Olympics was concerned. And she, she went to the Olympics to perform in the Olympics. And there was a bit of an, an outrage over, over that now she followed the the essentially the way it works is that that you're tested for your testosterone level and once it's at a certain level you are legally considered you know woman enough if i can use that term even though i hate to use it but you'll understand why i say that in a second to perform in that event now it was we talked about it on the show and we talked about you know and what was going to happen or whatever and what actually happened was she she couldn't make a lift and she she was a she was a non-factor in the in the medals um at, at all but it was also something in the olympics for uh track and field that um if you as of a woman if you tested higher um as, between a certain uh point of testosterone level in your body, you could not compete in certain events in the Olympics. So there were Nigerian, I believe they're Nigerian sprinters that they tested high for testosterone, but not high enough to be eliminated, but high enough to, they weren't allowed to run the 100 and the 200 meter. They had to run the 400 and above. So essentially they're saying that the science there with testosterone level, at least is that burst that, that there's a, a burst of strength and energy in that testosterone. Now, I don't know. I'm just saying that that's what the Olympics, that's what they're, what the Olympic drug policy policy is. So is it getting more, you know, is it getting more fluid in as from a female's perspective, this isn't even sports or whatever, but just from a female perspective for me, do you see, cause a lot of men get upset about that. I'll be honest with you. A lot of men get upset about, about, uh, uh, this guy, you know, he couldn't make it as a man. So he became a woman. So, you know, and now he's setting all these records at sports. Of course he is. He's, he's a man. He's not a woman. You know what, as a woman, how do you feel about, those things that, that are going on today and the changes that you see that we never saw back in my day in the eighties. You know what I mean? I, I, I didn't, I didn't hear about that stuff. It was about the steroids they were taking to, to win the Olympics, but it wasn't about this new gender sort of fluidity or whatever, for lack of a better term. So as a woman and a woman in sport, like what, what are your feelings about, about things like that that are going on? Is it, are we moving forward? Is it going backwards? How, what, what, what is actually, is there progress being made? Yeah, I think it's um it's hard to know whether whether what way we are going. Like for me, if a woman has natural testosterone above a certain level, I don't feel that anyone has the right to tell her that she's not a woman, you know, and essentially that's what I don't know enough about it to comment um to Yeah, well they're just to just to back it up, their their pro their thought their reasoning behind it has nothing to do with well it does have to do with being more accepting of gender fluidity as far as what constitutes a man and what constitutes a woman because now what basically what and and these are what the what the other side will argue is that someone who's getting a sex change now what makes them they, they weren't born that if it's for them that's fine but if they're competing in a sport or an athletic event now we have to turn to science 
to determine at scientific levels and processes, <laughs> processes to determine whether that is considered woman enough, feminine enough to run amongst her peers at a certain event. You know what I mean? That's where it's at. It's crazy. I, to me, I'm like, wow, but I don't know. Maybe that's a really good thing. Maybe, maybe from, from a standpoint, maybe that it, is, is the process, it, does the, is that a good process? Do you think there? And again, I know you don't know, you don't know the background, but you know, for me, I was like, I don't know. Is that forward? Is that moving forward? Well, it feels for something that feels like it's rooted in being inclusive and inclusivity, it feels very non-inclusive to, you know, yes. yeah. to yeah. kind of ban a woman from participating in the women's event um, due to her natural testosterone level. I feel that that then means that we haven't gotten the testing correct somewhere, do you know? And that is um, without commenting on the the trans woman. I think that, you know, that's that's a different type of thing. So I understand that trans uh, people are subject to not being included throughout their lives. It's a very difficult road to be on. And I truly believe they can't help who they are. And that in an ideal scenario or an ideal society, they would not feel so excluded. They would be more included. So that that one, um, that's a difficult one because I I don't know on that one. <laughs> All right, no problem. That's it. We don't. You don't have to but, go any further. I know. Yeah, uh, it's a tough. Unless you want to go, you go ahead. Keep going. I just I, I, again, I don't want you to feel like you have to. If it's no, it's a good. It's a good. It's question. a tough. It's, it's a tough answer. answer. I don't know the answer. I'm Everybody not. I'm not looking for that. Opinion one way or the other. You know. And you're I, you're a scientist too. You're a woman. A female. You're a woman <laughs> scientist. And I, again, I'm not trying to be in any way, shape, or form other than. Like you, this fits you. <laughs> this question, as a woman scientist, how do you feel about scientifically determining a, what a woman is or can do? That's you know, but you have to for sport, right? I don't know for the utmost of sport. If they're testing for steroids and they have to test for testosterone, right? I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Unless you're going to do like an open category type thing, because I understand that we're moving away from this kind of there's two genders in the world and we're moving more towards like this idea that there is no gender in the world. And um, so unless you're going to really embrace that fully and go like female, male, and then open category, like the way how they do with a lot of bathrooms and stuff like that in the Olympics, I feel that perhaps maybe that's a better solution to having, you know, women who were born as men competing fully in the female category with women who were born as women. Um, I certainly don't, I certainly feel that in terms of, you know, a woman who was born a woman and who has a naturally higher testosterone level for her to not be able to compete in the women's um, category doesn't sit right with me at all. Cool. I gotcha. So that, that's, we're, we're, we're going to leave the, uh, the difficult stuff to that. That's it. You have a podcast uh, that you're doing. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So um, the domestic game is what it's called. And myself and Rob Caldwell, he's the director of flag. Um, we, you know, um, do it together. And the, I mean, it's called the domestic game because there's so little 
in the media covering American football Ireland and covering our athletes. And there's actually quite quite a lot of our athletes that will cover the NFL and cover and other people, not necessarily even in American football Ireland, who will have podcasts or will cover the NFL. Many media um, media companies across Ireland who cover the NFL. Um, and no one is covering the domestic American Football Ireland game, like the domestic game. That's the one we want covered. And, you know, we spoke about it one day, myself and Rob, because we're both living in Monaghan. He's he's from Monaghan. I'm from Tipperary. I just live here for the last few years. But um, and we got quite passionate about it, saying, you know, our athletes deserve to be covered the way how um, other athletes from other sports are covered in the media. And that should happen you know why not our athletes we have amazing athletes across our sport we've amazing coaching we have fantastic people that was always what enticed me to keep going in this sport was the people involved like and they're the ones that deserve to be treated like the top tier athletes that they are so we also kind of agreed that, you know, sometimes if you want to see a change happen, then you have to be part of what makes that change. And so the whole purpose of the podcast was to illustrate that there is an appetite that if you cover American Football Ireland, you cover the athletes, the coaches and um, the people involved in it, it will be well received. It will be listened to and it will receive, you know, a following. And um, that was the whole purpose of it. Aside from that, then, you know, myself and Rob get on so well. And I think we've good we've good conversations and a good flow. And, um, you know, we're a little bit shady um, here and there. And we kind of know enough people and uh, know enough of the history of the sport and stuff like that to kind of um, comment on different things across all of American Football Ireland. So um, that was kind of the whole the ethos of it. So, um, it's a great show. Everybody should give it a listen. Uh, obviously, uh, you, you haven't listened to my podcast at all, Kelly, and that's a bit disappointing because I've had, uh, I've had the, uh, the head coach of the national program on two times. Um, I've had a coach's roundtable uh, on before, and I've had a, a separate show to talk about oh, American football in Ireland. So, so yeah, <clears throat> you know, I, I did. I appreciate you. I appreciate you guys putting in the effort to work there, but uh, I was the originator. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I can't, it, it is, it's a good, sh- now, the, the, I have a question for you on that because I just know for myself. So look, when you're podcasting, like, um, you have an audience now and you're doing this publicly. Like I decided to do this because of COVID and, and I was kind of, you know, stuck inside and I'm, you know, I am kind of a coach or whatever at heart. So I am about getting the voice out there and saying smart things at, at maybe stupid times or whatever. So I, I needed to have this hour and a plus to, to have some of my friends on and people I want to interview and, and vent. But the fact is like, like I, I've definitely had to call, catch myself a few times where I've said something like maybe funny about my, about, you know, wanting to throw my two and a half year old son out a window when I don't really want to do that. It's a joke. Like it's, the, it, it, and, and it's the way I would banter and talk to my friends. But when you're on a podcast like this, you have to, you know, shit, is somebody going to get this back to me? And I don't have, there's not too many listeners here, but there's, there's a good amount of listeners, but you are podcasting about, like you said, you, you, you got an interesting, um, uh, th- 
thing there with the people because look, American football players in Ireland are voracious for social media and for media about themselves. They fucking love it. Like, because they get so little, let's be honest. They don't get anything in a newspaper. You never pick up a newspaper unless the team themselves goes out to the newspaper, but like they don't get it. Just like you said, there's nobody doing it. So when there's the, like the slightest, when there's a, a, a funny American football memes page out there, or there's a, a, a an inside the American football Ireland Facebook page out there or something out there. And even when, when coach O'Sullivan did his, like I, I was addicted to it. You know what I mean? Like you, you and coaches, especially players like that coaches, they, they thrive off of that. Not necessarily the, the, the competition of that and the ego of that and the, the, you know, to have something said about you and written about you. But there's a flip side to that too, is that you can piss people off. And do you ever worry that you might piss somebody off and they would, they would hold in any way. And now listen, I've listened to the show and I'm, there's, I, I think there's a couple of times where you guys have kind of come on and be like, look, you, take, relax, everybody. We're not trying to piss anybody off. We're just trying to have a good time. And in no way does this represent anybody, but us having a good time. But you still have people that bitch and moan. <laughs> like, and, and does that? Do you think that with that? Do you think that would ever come back to, to, or do you do you do you get that too? Do you have that same sort of thought? Does that process enter enter you when you when you do these shows? Because can you truly be Kelly Dwyer? Um, it's a good question. Uh, we we do we do annoy people on it. We do get complaints after some of our shows and. For all of it, when we get complaints, well, first off, we're we never intend to truly upset anyone. But secondly, we're kind of well, at least they're listening anyway, you know. So people yeah. don't complain about things un- unless they care about it. So we always t- kind of take it as a good thing. Myself and Rob, we have had that chat where when we started the podcast, we didn't really know what it was going to be. We have to be ourselves, or else it's not going to it's not going to be sustainable and it's not going to come across as authentic. So um, we just say what we say and um, whatever, whatever way it comes out, it comes out, you know, and because we are very respectful, I mean, we have the utmost respect for American Football Ireland and all those that are given their time to be a part of it, that there's always that baseline thing there where, you know, you appreciate everybody that's pushing the sport that you love forward. At the same time, you know, there is always a little bit of shade that you do throw out here and there. Occasionally that is going to piss people off and, and we have done that, you know, but we would always welcome everybody who has an issue to contact us because we have no problem setting things straight um, we've no problem saying, okay, yeah, maybe we got that one wrong or equally we've no problem saying, yeah, guys, look, you need to calm down. It is just a bit of crack, um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah. and it's one of those where before we ever started, you know, myself and Rob, we had that chat where we said like, you know, it's a very real thing that someday we could say something that could not only get our podcast cancelled but like our roles in American Football Ireland cancelled because <laughs> like that that you know there could be something that we say someday that could do that and are we okay to proceed with this anyway and we just kind of said yeah you know I think that it's um it's needed it's um it's important and ultimately it it is kind of a media platform you're especially as our sport grows and our athletes become more well-known hopefully um across Ireland 
they aren't always going to like what they hear in the media about themselves. Coaches aren't always going to like what they hear about themselves in the media because media can be ruthless sometimes. So it's as much about, you know, getting them to respond constructively to that um, in that they contact us and say, oh, you know, you got that incorrect um, as anything else. So that when they do receive that genuine media um, coverage, that they have those skills too. Um so I I hope that 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 makes sense in in that Absolutely. Like I said, it's for for me. It's a you, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't. You guys are you guys are very comfortable, and I appreciate that comfortability. Um, knowing that like there is always that sort of in the back of head from so like i said from my standpoint as a podcast you know i i like just i don't know if you you know this kelly but my number one uh listener live uh, uh even though goldie would disagree but my number one listener live is my mother so like so you're talking to my mom right now live like uh so so um you know i don't I am can only be me, you know what I mean? And I understand political correctness and, and I don't want to piss, I don't want to necessarily piss anybody off from my standpoint. I'm, I'm a little bit more, you know, like I said about the vaccinations at the beginning of the show, I'm a little, I try to, I try not to piss people off, but I don't care. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm me. And as long as I don't say anything to get myself fired from my job, which that's not happening, you know what I mean? I, I, I'm okay with it. So it's, it's a, it's a, uh, a bold step, but a really appreciated one. I know that people around the league are listening to it, and I know that you guys are getting some great feedback. And uh, I wish is nothing but the best on the show. And if you're ever looking for a coach's perspective or something, or you ever need somebody to run out to do something, yeah, you can always you can always call on me, and I can I, I would gladly help you out anytime you need it. A hundred percent, Romo. Like that, we will make that happen because I'm a big fan of what you're doing as well. I'm really enjoying even this show. It's it's brilliant. It's a lot more even laid back and relaxed than I think even what our show is. So I think we have a lot to learn from you. And in terms of uh, authenticity, that's that's so important when you do anything in media. You have to be authentic and you have to speak to people like as if you are their friend and I think that you have that completely nailed so we will we will make it happen where you're going to come onto our show and 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 talk <laughs> um we'll get you on for the coach's perspective 100 percent, and what you're doing in, in the Panthers which I think everybody will be very interested in especially given that you were there from you know the old like dragon days if I'm not mistaken and I think that that has been just a, a fantastic story of growth of a, a team and so the people that were involved in in where the team was versus where it is now is something that everybody across American Football Ireland is interested in but secondly I would love to get you on to talk about how you've started your own podcast because like that it's something we want to see our players do is to kind of to get annoyed that they're not being covered in the media, to get annoyed over something like that and to make those changes and to, you know, get used to doing it themselves, you know? Totally, totally. And, and I, I, you know, when I first started, when I first started mine, I, I, I kind of said to myself, what do I want to do it on? What am I going to be on? And I do fall back on the uh, football Ireland stuff. And I, and I would almost, if I had more time, just do a fully dedicated uh, show to that but like when i read uh when i read articles like uh ben you know the paint 
Benjamin Moore, the paint company. Have you ever heard yeah. of them? Benjamin Moore has 152 different shades of off white. <laughs> you know, that's what the fuck? You know, that, that, that's why that's another reason why I do the show. Like I read this stuff and I'm like, there are 152 different shades of off white. And you couldn't tell that if you honestly, would you give a shit about the difference between 150 of them? Yeah. You know what I mean? Off white. <laughs> you know, what is going on in the world today? No wonder, no wonder we had to take a restart with some of this COVID stuff. You know, no wonder COVID came around and forced us to restart our lives and, and forced us to, you know, you're, you're in isolation right now, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in isolation, yeah. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry for you. But, you know, you know, part of the reason is because some, how, how did this pandemic get around the world? I'll tell you why. Because there's 152 different colors of fucking off-white. That's why. We're paying attention to what color, 150 different off-white colors, and we're dropping the ball on the big shit here. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. the stuff that pisses me off, and that's why I do the show. So that's why I feel comfortable is that. But I'd love to uh, to, to focus more, and, and who knows? You know, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm uh, – you know, I am friends with, you know, with the former commissioner of the AFI, who was uh, quite vocal and quite uh, not, not, I don't want to use the word vocal, but, uh, you know, he went through a complete change as well. Um, and he also was part of the change, went through the change from, from when the dragons were around. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I know it's not going to be easy, but, uh, but I'd love to convince him to, to get that. That would be the get. If I could get that interview on my show, man. That that would be that would be me over. I'd retire if I could get the former commissioner on the show. That would be a great show. Yeah, I'm a, a big a big Brian fan. I would credit an awful lot of my own development um, in American football Ireland down to him and his leadership. Like so, um, plus he has definitely has some stories to tell. It's something that I noticed with him. You know that everybody could hear what was happening on the board, could hear what was going on until he kind of came in as commissioner and suddenly it all got very quiet. It got a little bit more sophisticated and we just had that sense that there was big change happening, almost like wartime type stuff. I think he has that type of vibe, but he has never said any of it. So it's like if you can break that story, oh, credit to you, like. <laughs> publicly i don't think that story's getting any of those stories getting broken publicly <laughs> but before before we go uh is there is there you, give me a story give me something funny something funny that happened on the field something that that you know in your in your years there has to be some funny stories of, of things that happened you don't need to mention any names but there's got to be something give me give me something good Oh, okay. I don't even know if this is uh, good, but it's something I'm real proud of. So, you know, when you had said, oh, what was your, what's your biggest accomplishment as an official? I'd stop myself from saying this because it's such a personal little victory. But uh, it was when I went to Whitecap and um, I wasn't sure if Whitecap was going to be for me because it's a lot of decision making, uh, a lot of, you know, understanding the enforcements. You have to, you know, just a lot of knowledge logged in your head as well as having some pretty decent, like, people skills. So um, this was my third game. I was starting to get into the flow of it. And a thing that we don't talk about an awful lot that we need to talk about more is that every official has to have an officiating philosophy. So that's really important when it comes down to 50-50 flags. Like, how do you 
side. So my personal philosophy is always to err on the side of not throwing the flag and just speaking to the person. And how I like to speak to players, you know, is almost like as if, you know, they've misbehaved and they know better type of thing. So um, I was, Whitecap was watching the QB and out of the corner of my eye, I saw something happening on the on the line. I think it was over at tight end and uh, something happened between the defense and the offensive players there. And I couldn't see what exactly it was, but I had a fair idea that like the defensive player had taken a shot at the the offensive player. And so I just said to myself, right, I'll just keep an eye on that for the next play. And um, but it was pure handbags. I could tell that a mile away. Um, so the next play came around and the offensive player then takes a shot at the defensive player again, like more handbags type thing, nothing like really malicious in it. Just kind of, uh, he got me, so I'm going to get at him type thing. So mm-hmm. I was like, here, I have to do something about this. And I don't know what I'm going to do because well, I'm not going to throw a flag. Like this was just silliness. Like, do you know what I mean? It's pure <laughs> nothing. but I have to do something or else this is going to escalate. So I called the player over. It was number 54. I can remember it. And just at 54, and he looks at me and I was like, come here, please. And um, he came over and he looked at me and he said nothing. And I looked at him and I said nothing. And the two of us looked at each other for about 15 seconds, just just silence. And he cracked first. He goes, ref, I know. He was like, I know. But he got me in the first. I was just getting him back type of thing. <laughs> and so I said, <laughs> I cracked then as well. I said, uh, all right, OK. Like, and did you get him? And he was like, what? He was shy. What? What do you mean? I was like, did you get him back? And he was like, yeah, I, I did get him back. And I said, uh, all right, you know, are you happy that you got him back? And again, he was like, what? You know, not expecting a white cap to speak to him this way. You know, I said, are you happy that you got him back? And he kind of smiled himself. He goes, yeah, if I'm being honest, I am happy I got him back. <laughs> So then I said to him, I was like, well, that's great because you're happy you got him back. So you don't need to get him again. And he was like, no, I suppose I don't need to get him again. I was like, great, because now I'm happy because now I don't need to flag you. And he was like, all right, okay, thanks, ref. And I was like, yeah, no problem. You know, have a good rest (laughs) of your game type of thing. And he kind of like skipped off like happy enough and I skipped off happy enough. And that was it. There was no problem for many of them because as far as everyone was concerned, that was that was that sorted. So for me, that that's one of the things that I was quite quite proud of because had I thrown the flag first, it would have been an overly excessive flag and nobody would have appreciated it. That is fantastic. That, that reminds me of a uh, – have you ever heard of the – I don't know if you follow baseball at all, but there was a very famous baseball uh, manager, and his name was Tommy Lasorda, and he was known as a, a character. And – um, he used to, now you don't get this so much. I know you get official or coaches sort of coming onto the field, but you know, there are very specific rules about a coach walking onto the, onto the field to argue a call. Whereas in baseball, it's a little bit more, not so black and white. It's more of a gray, gray area. And Tommy Lasorda once, uh, a guy got thrown out at second base and he didn't agree with the call, but he went out and he started and he, and he ran out to the to the field and while they were doing it they were showing the replay on the the, the big screen and when he got out to the second base he, he went to the umpire and he screamed in his face do you like italian food and the umpire was like what the hell is this guy talking about? do you like italian food and the umpire was like yeah i like italian food and he said 
well, that's good because the replay just proved that your call was fucking correct. And I got an Italian restaurant in Norristown, Pennsylvania, and I wanted you to be my guest at that restaurant. And he kicked the base <laughs> and he picked up the, he picked up the base and he threw it on the ground and he turned around and he walked away and the crowd went fucking nuts. They went ape shit. They were so clapping for this guy. And meanwhile, he, he realized that what he was about to do was completely wrong, but rather than lose face, he, he yelled about his Italian restaurant in Pennsylvania. So, and, and got the guy to come as his guest. You know, it's, it's what it's the, the, the way as an official, even, or a coach, it's sort of the way you go about things, uh, is, is so important, you know, and like you said, the process is the process. The, the product is a good game, but the people aspect of it is if you can psychologically understand what's going to happen next. And as an official, you have to understand that. And as a coach, you have to understand that too. Then I think that uh, you're, you're ahead of the game because it's the game becomes more fun. You know, if you know what's going to, if you know you make this call, this guy's going to say this. I knew you were going to say that. And this is my comeback to you. And that's what makes this game fun. What's next? You know, so, so I totally appreciate uh, your, your psychological dealings with players on the field. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, I've, I've played sport and I've wanted to win playing sport. So, like, I get it and I respect what they're out there to do. Like, they're out there training twice a week, every week. And the last thing they want is for silly calls going against them that affect the game that, they're, that they've worked so hard <laughs> for. So, it's, it's a respect as much as it is just about having fun with it as well. 100%. Uh, Kelly, we have actually been talking for almost an hour and a half now, and and uh, I am I'd, I'd like to keep it to to an hour ish. So I've gone over, and I appreciate you taking out the time to to join me on the show tonight. Um, I'd love to make this an open invitation to you, and you know, and even have you come in and check in when when maybe when there's a season when the next season is to be had to just check in maybe every couple weeks and talk about the state of the game or something. If this show is still on the air, who knows, but uh, thank you so much for coming on. I, I couldn't be uh, more impressed with, with you on the show and I couldn't be uh, happier to, to get to know you this little bit better. And hopefully the listeners will too, because people need to, I think a lot of people need to listen to the show. I think there's some American football people who are associated with the, with the sport in this country that, that could probably listen to the show and they could, they could blank me out, but just listen to what you have to say and they could learn something. So thank you so much for, for joining me on the show. And I, I totally appreciate you uh, coming on my first female, my first female, and I did not detest it scientifically folks. And I did get, and I, I, this is something else I got, I got a message once about, you know, I need to have a bit more uh, feminine viewpoint because what I give is a very masculine viewpoint. So thank you. Uh, uh, thank you again for being, for setting off all these records on the hit the lotto podcast. Brilliant. I was delighted to be here. Thank you so much. And I'll definitely take you up on that. I've no doubt that your podcast will definitely still be on the air because you're doing a great job as well. So um, cheers. Really enjoyed it. Well, let's go. And I pre and uh, thank you guys for, for listening out there. It looks like there's uh, there's a, a new friendship with the, the Midnight in Baghdad podcast and Mohammed. They're going to they're going to they, they started a new email uh, buddies back and forth. I don't know if you could see that, but uh, uh, that's that's part of the having a live show when you get 
We got Goldie and Mohammed going back and forth. Thanks for joining us. Everybody else in the studio, uh, Betty Boop and Coach Karen and, and whoever else was here and is about to listen to this in the future. We'll be on Spotify and all that stuff uh, probably tomorrow morning. It'll be loaded in. So uh, you guys have been awesome. And thank you. And we will be back next week. Love ya.